<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Today is Wednesday, September 1st, the first goddamn day of September. I can't believe it. Uh, This year has flown by. Um, This is the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience, the show where we talk about the latest and greatest, whatever the hell is going on in the world of tech, what's blowing up, what's popping off. Good morning. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Uh, I am Chris Messina, and uh, I am co-hosting with Brian McCullough, the host of the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. And today we've got a a crazy show. I just, I, I can't even, I don't know, like intro it any other way. Um, but before we get into the big topic, which is NFTs and everything that's happening in that world, um, I feel like we're entering a bizarro mural world all at the same time. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the news, um, but we're going to start off with an initiative that Brian has cooked up, which I think is actually very interesting, very fun. Um, while he is talking about it, I'm going to go find the tweet so the folks who are here in the space can vote on today's World Cup of Entrepreneurs. Brian? Yeah, listen, guys, this is just a BS thing. That's a fun thing that that, <laughs> okay. that you're fired that, from marketing. That, that, well, but but podcasts have been doing this like um, so many of my favorite podcasts do do this in terms of like what are the things that they cover, like the movie podcast, like which which directors should we cover? Um, uh, my favorite history podcast has done the World Cup of of British uh, <laughs> uh, prime ministers and things like that. The the idea behind this is you do a sort of uh, sweet 16 sort of bracket style. You have your audience vote on it. And then, okay, but what does that mean? You're voting on who's the best prime minister, best entrepreneur, whatever. When you do the show, when you do the wrap-up of it, of who wins and whatever, you do bracket, 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 till there's one left standing. It allows you, through this weird sort of lens to sort of analyze things like a movie or a person or a company or whatever. So I I said when we announced this earlier this week, it's just for fun. Um, And uh, we've got the the great folks from the Acquired FM podcast that's they're going to come on and, and do this with us. And it'll allow us to just like in a, in a fun little way, analyze what is interesting about various people and their companies and their whatever, whatever. What I want to say is we're about to go in a holiday here in the US. So I'm announcing every day all of the uh, matchups. Right now, we've got Bezos versus Ma. Um, tomorrow, the lineup is Mark Zuckerberg versus Jack Dorsey. Um, because the holiday is coming up, and I won't be able to announce it, because this is coming out on Saturday, uh, every day you can vote for uh, a very uh, various matchups. Saturday's matchup is Oprah versus Patrick Collison. Sunday's matchup, uh, the fifth of September, Bill Gates versus Whitney Wolf Hurd. Um, and then Labor Day, uh, September sixth, it's going to be Larry and Sergey of Google versus Larry Ellison, the Battle of the Larrys. And then uh, the day we come back, it'll be Steve Jobs versus Mark Benioff, and that'll uh, round up our first uh, sixteen. So, yes, that's it. I just wanted to do that. Just uh, table setting, blah blah blah. Anyway, every day you can go on Twitter. 
to the at tech meme podcast. It'll be pinned to the thing. You can vote um, right now. The voting for uh, Bezos, actually, Jack Ma is getting better than um, than yesterday. Hmm. Uh, the the loser guy Jack Ma's twenty four point one percent against uh, Jeff Bezos seventy five point nine percent, and I believe that um, Evan Spiegel lost at around fifteen percent yesterday. Oh, yeah, anyway, whatever. Trump. The point is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I expect that, but if you think about this, if you look at the brackets, like we're eventually going to have. I'm assuming a Zuckerberg versus Musk at some point, <laughs> you know, a, a Bezos versus Musk at some <laughs> point. Draw out the, the the trolls. Sure. Well, I tried to, but oh, right. I tried to. I tried. I tried to seed it. I tried to do it literally that way, where it's like we should have some real, um, some real heavyweight bouts at some point. So I anyway, say, what, what that's I, enough what of I like that about this process. By the way, um, as as I understand it, as you've described it, is that we get to talk about the loser. And so as they exit the bracket, as they're exactly. sort of kicked off, you know, the island, so to speak, that is the opportunity for us to actually kind of go into them and to, you know, consider them as an entrepreneur. And um, I think that's that's actually going to be the most interesting thing because I think it's it's whether it's, you know, the flawed individuals or the people who like had a shot and then, you know, missed it or just, you know, I don't know, like giving those folks their due, I think. And that's that's the thing about this that I'm actually most excited about. Right. So, uh, you know, um, Evan Spiegel is the first voted off the island. So he would be the first one we'd be able to talk about. And we'll be able to talk about, well, what's, why is he, a, he didn't win, but what is his story and what are his proclivities and, 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 you know, yeah. Well, so and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to talk about in 10 years, you know, maybe Evan actually won and, you know, he won the metaverse contest and, you know, there you go. <laughs> right, there you go. So uh, we'll be able to talk about each person individually, 16 people in two episodes. It's going to be fun. Anyway, enough. Okay. We got it. Perfect. So yeah, don't forget, go vote. Um, you can follow the hashtag, etc. Um, all right. So let's get into a, a few news pieces. And then we, you know, we've got so much to really unpack in what's going on in this world. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about, I think, which is, it's kind of relevant, it's connected to a lot of things. Obviously, it's connected to identity, uh, which is obviously my saddle horse what a, i don't know stocking horse whatever i don't know horses because i've i've only ridden them like a couple times but regardless, hobby horse hobby horse thank you exactly i knew it was some kind of horse small horse that i come back to frequently a pony anyways the pony is apple id um essentially expanding to support driver's licenses now we sort of you know you had to have known this was coming you had to know that you know not only with these chips being put into um you know the iphone and and, and etc and the, and the watch but that with the Apple wallet, that whole concept of replacing the wallet, I mean, it, it is named appropriately, you know, given all the um, skeuomorphism that, you know, was the early, um, I guess, design paradigm for the iPhone, um, moving more of those pieces of the wallet literally onto your device and onto your phone, onto a, a secure enclave where, and again, like this, this is where the privacy narrative is so important. Like if you kind of look backwards six months and you look at Apple's Tele telegraphing and their marketing messages, you can kind of see where they're going and why they have to set these things up to prepare the market to essentially become a, a frog that's about to be boiled. You know, in this case, they started out with things that were very simple, you know, just like going to tickets, um, you know, like to events or things like that. And then eventually they, they added in airline tickets and stuff like that. And that was like revelatory, you know, and all the systems that had to be put in place to enable that. And now more recently they've added um, transit, passes and, and stuff like that moving into the government identity space moving into i know vaccine passports aren't quite uh, enabled yet 
really moves this conversation forward in terms of both, you know, privacy and access and security and why that narrative is so important for Apple to take over more and more of those things, especially in more places all over the world. Um, So I just, I don't know, I think it's very important to look at the conversation and the narrative around driver's licenses being added to, you know, Apple ID and Apple Wallet. Um, because of things that we've talked about in previous episodes around uh, the New Year customer regulations, around moving away from anonymity, pseudonymity, and the need for more and more players, I guess, in the space to know who their customers are and who they're doing business with. Um, this you know, doesn't not have connections to the whole OnlyFans thing and what was going on there. So I just wanted to, like, I guess, pluck that out and sort of you know, bring some attention to that because I think it's, it's very relevant and very important. I think also, you know, it comes down to uh, your device is eventually going to be yes, you. Exactly. I mean, we already have that. If if you live in the two-factor authentication world, you're already there. Yeah. I, I think about that all the time. If I were to be hit by a bus, uh-huh. um, you know, it, like because you know, I, I I've given my wife my passwords and and like things like that. But at the same time, like if you couldn't get onto my phone you wouldn't necessarily be able to get into my um, anything right now. Like like, if your face gets disfigured or something, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, if you're lost, exactly. I've, I've had several digital deaths, you know, where I've lost access, you know, or where hackers took over my SIM and were able to get into my accounts or where, you know, my laptop was stolen when I was traveling in Europe one time and I've got two factor on everything. And, you know, I don't know how many people, you know, actually print out their two-factor backup codes um, for some period of time. I didn't have a printer, so that was not really possible for me. But nonetheless, like, it very viscerally, like, you know, gave me a sense like, oh my God, like, I could lose these things. And there's not a backup. There's not sort of, at least as far as I know, and I hope that there's not a backdoor into these things once you add that second layer of protection. Um, and on the one hand, that's that's great and that's good and that's, you know, what we require, but it also does, just like with all the stuff that's happening in the crypto world, put a lot more responsibility on the individual to maintain the security of their devices, um, you know, et cetera. So anyways, I think it's just really important, something to, to pay attention to. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, and I, I, I guess I had a couple of thoughts about this that went beyond the coverage that I saw in Axios. I should be doing a better job of actually tweeting these links um, or pinning them here. But regardless, the one that I was interested in was Amazon, I guess, getting into the live audio space. You know, we've seen this across the board in a number of ways, and Amazon has actually done a bunch of stuff getting into live streaming and media over the last year. Um, specifically, they've added more and more QVC style content where, I don't know, you open the Amazon app now or you go to the, the the website and there'll be somebody who's just sitting there showing you some fidget spinner or something like, you know, as a live stream. And you're like, wow, this is really crazy. Um, like who watches this stuff? But on their hand, you know, people are bored, I guess. You know, they haven't discovered NFTs, I guess. And anyways, uh, Amazon moving more towards radio, I think is interesting for a number of reasons. And I think it specifically has to do with the voice assistant that shall not be named and providing content for that. I will say <laughs> that um, what I've noticed is that with the with Google's assistant, um, which I will not invoke, um, two things have been happening with my little puck device that I have in, in the shower is that when I listen to my morning briefing and it plays a number of news clips, ads are being inserted into that context. So not only is this becoming uh, an increasing like commercial area, as we knew, I suppose voice computing would become, but this becomes very, I think, interesting and necessary for the, again, the voice assistant that shall not be named to provide additional content in just an always on, always available. This is your replacement for radio, wherever you go, you know, kind of offering. Um, 
so anyways, it's, it's part of the streaming wars. It's part of, you know, live content. I just, I find it like very, very interesting. Uh, and I've, I've sort of under reported on it or covered it because I feel sometimes I'm always like, well, this is the podcast space, so I shouldn't talk about it. But, um, you know, Amazon buying Wondery yep. for $300 million is actually the biggest acquisition in the entire history of the podcast space. Yeah. Um, so there's that, there's the idea that they already have audible. Yep. Um, right. so, you know, well, if, if we're looking music, you know, and, and supposedly right. maybe within the Amazon music brand. So anyway, if, if you look at it through those lenses and then the, uh, she who shall not be named, um, <laughs> yes. whatever, <laughs> like they're actually more positioned than just about anybody. Um, to, I don't know, own a space that is incredibly hot. I, I, I just want to shout out real quick and then let's move on. Yep. Uh, Clubhouse having over 700,000 live audio rooms each day, up from 300,000 in May. Yep. So again, on the, is Clubhouse uh, real, a bust? Is it, you know, whatever, is it over? Yep. Uh, interesting data point there. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, you know, Remy's here in the audi- audience, and I'm sure he's got uh, opinions. Um, we're gonna Remy, just so you know, we're gonna hold uh, uh, maybe until the end to bring other folks up, um, just given how much we have today. But I do think that uh, this question about what happens to terrestrial radio, I know a lot of people sort of think about it from the perspective of, oh, well, you know, terrestrial radio goes out and has all this connection. Um, uh, Remy's question is, do you think Amazon could build what Spotify uh, did not build with Greenhouse? Um, I think the answer is a little bit different. I think. The way I would understand what Amazon is doing is it's creating programming that it needs to have on a number of different media formats in order to have inventory, you know, whether you're talking to a smart speaker that is, you know, Amazon owned and powered, um, or whether they're doing, you know, live audio streams for commercial content, or uh, whether it's powering the Amazon ad ecosystem, which has just been growing like crazy. So it just seems to me that they're not going to rely on any other company. You know, maybe, you know, what crazy idea would be Amazon acquires like a clubhouse or something, but that just seems completely like off in terms of the, the both brand alignment, but also what Amazon tends to go for in wanting more mm. generic, banal, like non-creator centric kind of, you know what, Chris, that's funny that you said that. And I've never thought of that. Yeah. That makes a shit ton of sense. Okay. And if you think about something, that's a crazy thing for Amazon to buy. Yeah. I would say Twitch. Ah, uh, wait, did they not already? Don't they already own Twitch? That's what I'm saying. Ah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, if you, if you go back in time, I wrote two sort of canonical pieces on the, the voice space, you know, one was about the AirPods. Um, and I, you know, I called them the sex sticks, like, fuck your ears. Cause they're just like, they're very sexy products and Apple's all about creating that, uh, I don't know, that shine, that jewelry, like sort of, uh, element. Whereas Amazon, if you go back, I think the piece is called like why Silicon Valley is all wrong about the, um, Amazon Echo and, or, or the show, maybe the whole point was that they create these very like germane, basic, non-sexy, you know, uh, dare I say frumpy, like digital products to make them one very cheap and two extremely accessible. They don't look like technology. They look like turds. And so you, you know, like if you're not looking to spend $800 or $400 on like a home pod or something, you don't mind with, you know, going for the Amazon, um, product. So Anyways, it just, I think it's, it's important to to keep in mind what's going on there and what their, what that direction may actually mean. And it's not like, oh, they're doing clubhouse or they're doing social audio. No, no, no. This is about creating inventory and what they do with that inventory 
is yet to be seen. Okay, the next thing that I want to talk about, which kind of relates to the first one and also the second one to some degree, this this point about iPhones adding the ability to have satellite coverage. The one thing that, and, and again, I'm just speculating and I'm probably totally off base and someone's going to tell me in a minute and that's fine. I usually am, but I'm just sort of making things up as I go. But it seems to me that maybe this satellite coverage might have something to do with, you know, the Apple car. Like maybe if, you know, the, the, the future of mobility is mm. kind of cars or, or phones rather with wheels and you need that connectivity wherever you go, Apple wants a device that, you know, is connected everywhere. And so having Apple needs their OnStar. Exactly. Exactly. So that again was something that I didn't really see brought up. It seemed very odd. You know, you're like, oh, I'm a person who has an iPhone and I, you know, go hella diving or what are they hella skiing? Whatever it is, where you know, you're out in the woods and you know, you do something stupid because you're unprepared for, you know, hiking some mountain or something. Like, is it does it really make sense to put that level of connectivity in the iPhone just for like those users? Like for that emergency use case, like how often does that happen? Um, uh, Mike Rundle actually points out, you know, maybe uh, Apple AR glasses could use this as well. So there's really good coverage. I would say coverage in terms of pretending this is, it's like a head fake. That's what it seems like this could be. The satellite coverage could be a head fake that actually allows Apple to continue to explore different forms of connectivity that are not 5G, that are more energy efficient, and that actually empower or enable other types of computing platforms that are not specifically handheld. So. That was my thought. Uh, I had not thought of that. You should do my job. <laughs> Honest to God, that that that's that's such a, a dot connection. That's obvious when you say it. Well, well thank you. That's the, that is why we have these conversations, right? Because like I'm walking around, I'm like, I don't think that's really what this is. And you know, the tech press covers it from like the most straightforward way possible. And you know, we get to speculate here. Um, the last. The last um, kind of mini story that we wanted to, to cover or that I wanted to just cover was today's launch of Super Follows on Twitter. Um, I do not have it yet. I may be denied from monetization options forever and ever on Twitter, and I won't explain why, but maybe that's going to be the case. But regardless, they did launch, and I've seen some people that have it. Um, it's, you know, I, I guess it's cool. that Actually, this does lead into like the next bigger story, actually, I think in interesting ways. The thought I had about Super Follows is that, I guess, two things. One is that this completely changes norms, expectations, and behaviors on social platforms forevermore. You know, it's one thing to sort of go to a premium, you know, news news or newspaper or magazine site where at one point, you know, us old people would actually buy physical copies, like prints of these things for like four or five bucks at the airport, and we'd consume them and then maybe dispose of them afterwards. But up until I would say 2020 and 2021, it was rare to feel like you would, you know, need to spend money to follow people on the internet or just to interact with them or engage with them. You know, certainly there's been tipping and things like that, but super follows changes the vernacular of interacting between people, um, in a way that it's going to just, I don't know how it's going to change things. I don't know if the norm and expectation will be that everyone has a super follows and, you know, Sometimes you do that, and that's just how you create your tribe or your your club or your connections or something, or if it's going to create new a new class system, you know, with haves and have nots and like poor people and rich people, even worse than what we have today. Um, and so I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm I guess I'm following that quickly. But today just seems like you know September first was a big day um, when it comes to the creator economy and what's happening there. So speaking of the creator economy, okay. We ready to switch over to the big, the big topic, the big story. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID, and another line 
where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation, where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com/ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's k o l i d e dot com slash ride collide dot com slash ride. Yes. Well, and and there's no headlines about this all week. It's just if you were online and you're connected at all, the last week has been NFT week, hands down. Uh, no questions asked. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. And it's, and I want to, I, I guess I want to draw a distinction and, and Brian, I think you, you can actually kind of lead this conversation. We've got two amazing guests. We've got Jackson, um, coming up, uh, and we've got Shlomo, I guess like, or I'm sorry, sh- I, you're going to have to tell me exactly how you want me to say your Shloms. name. Shloms. It's so easy. It's Shloms. It's literally. It's okay. It rhymes with yeah. <laughs> okay. Like I said, it's okay. I'm, a, I'm a newbie here. We've got Jackson and Shloms here. And these are two guys that I've been following for quite a while. Um, I, I will let them introduce themselves and sort of like how they, they kind of want to be known, but they both are participating. I would say in, uh, let me, let me, let me start again. There are three different ways that I'm sort of observing the NFT space evolving. One that was the 2020 NFT space was essentially kind of digital art, artwork you know, as they say, JPEGs, and a certificate of authenticity that established some sense of rarity or uniqueness, artificial scarcity for an image. And then you could buy and sell and trade and you kind of, you know, kind of prove that you had this thing first. um, And it, you know, created a real asset. But what I see happening specifically with what Jackson and the folks at Loot Party Project Project, um, are doing is adding a whole nother element that's a very different sort of generative structure that dare I say, I mean, is sort of, you know, akin to the way that I was thinking about hashtags in the beginning. It's a generative structure or technology that allows people to build unforeseen things far into the future without no central coordination with the people who kind of came up with or established the idea to begin with. And I'll let them kind of talk about what, what that is. And then on the other hand, um, what Shlomes is doing with his art projects, I think goes beyond uh, what the basic idea of sort of like owning a flat image and having a certificate of authenticity. There's, these are constructs or kind of collections. They're, um, I don't, they're, they're tied to moments. Uh, and he's, he's going to actually tell you about a a sale that's going on right now, um, to sort of help. Yeah. I don't even want to shill it. I don't really want to even shill it. I just want to share with everyone, like within the past 10 minutes, like my auctions aren't ending, but I'm about to make more money than like my shitty corporate job would have (laughs) given me in like three years. Like in one, you're going to need to shill it. Just, 
This is the biggest moment of my life that we're all sharing right now. This is amazing. Well, okay, well then, then, then you need to share that. <laughs> share the project, explain okay. it, explain what's happening. Sure. Um, so if you look at my pinned tweet, maybe it'll give a little bit of context, I but um, so I can see it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, so that is um, the announcement of the final of four drops of my project. So I can also pin like the main announcement thread, um, but it's a, sort of crypto native, physically fractionalized, um, sort of like real life generative take on Duchamp's fountain. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, got made, took this urinal, put my own pseudonym on it instead of our mutt, um, and had a bunch of people in a parking garage in the middle of the night, fractionalize it with a hammer. Um, so 175 shards we've sold, um, most of them already in the first two drops were like flat sales. We completely melted down the NFT platform that it was hosted on, which is a great problem to have. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so, so right now what's happening is, um, 20 of like really large pieces are on auction. They were supposed to have ended at, um, I guess half an hour ago. Um, but the bidding on OpenSea gets extended for 10 minutes every time a new bid comes in. Um, so they sort of like were stagnating and then all of a sudden within the last five minutes of, of the bid, call, um, they, they started going crazy. Um, and the last 10 pieces, so nine pieces of the urinal, like the craziest pieces and, and then the hammer that we used to fractionalize it, um, were supposed to be the next drop that were supposed to have dropped half an hour ago. But now I, I think I called an audible and we're just going to wait till all of these end, um, because I can't think and, and I'm probably going to When you too. say fractionalize, I just want to point out that you yeah. literally, as I understand it, now maybe you can DM me the link mm -hmm. to the video of you quote unquote fractionalizing it. But this is where this becomes, yeah. I think, super fascinating conceptually because you literally took a sledgehammer and smashed the thing in, like IRL in the Adams space. And then you right. digitized the results of the smashing into those fragments that you described verbally. Right. And then you sold each of those as an NFT that was the digitized 3D version of the thing that came out of real life, right? Yeah. So it's sort of, yeah. So it's sort of like, it, it's, it, it started off almost as a play on words. Like what if fractionalization wasn't like non, like just, you know, just owning equity in a piece of art. Like what if it was actually part of the art and like made the art look different, like non-fungible fractionalization basically. And I was like, well, how do I do that? Not really like a smart code or like, let's just take a conceptual angle to this. Yeah. Um, and then it's also it's also a play on on like the generative uh, trend in in crypto, which is you know usually that you know you the artist makes a bunch of code and then the art itself gets generated when you know a person buys it and it's based on the time or their their wallet ID or whatever. And I thought, well, let's make it generative based on my friends and you know this the specific physical circumstance of you know everything in, in human like the history of the universe leading up to this specific moment will, you know, because of the laws of entropy, like decide exactly how this piece of art will look. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've called it IRL generative or entropically generative. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it you started are, off sort of as a joke, but now it's, I mean, I think it's like a serious con. You, sh you should stop, uh, you should probably stop talking about it because I'm, I'm actively bidding on it right now and I don't want people <laughs> flooding in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll talk about I'll talk about the next thing. So, so the next plan, which I tweeted about, is I want to make a DAO where uh, we all pool funds to buy a Lamborghini, and then we physically fractionalize that, preferably by blowing it up. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, by blowing it up. I mean, so, you could actually like create a lot more shares, right. I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. 
Mm. And um, so it's a Lamborghini because I, I hate Lamborghinis. So. <laughs> Everybody wants Lambo in this space is what I understand, though. That's the thing. Um, I did want to. So, so I know like one of one of Brian's, I think, roles in this conversation is to actually take a step back because, you know, he, he has lots of things that he's got going on. And I tried to sort of dive deep within the last 24 to 48 hours to sort of understand the things that are happening. And I want to make sure that we call out certain things. Granted, we have a slightly more sophisticated audience, but I think, you know, when you mention things like DAOs, I think the, 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 the goal that I want to have in this conversation is to bridge several divides. Part of it is yes, to sort of, you know, understand some of the, uh, I guess the acronym soup that's coming about out, out of this, but also like the reality of, of, you know, a DAO or whether it's like the, the party bids or things along those lines, like the idea of fractionally owning something, I don't know, I suppose like in and of itself, you know, has been around for a long time. We're changing the nature of how that works and who can participate in that. However, I think slums, when I asked you, like, how do I get involved and how do I buy a piece of your urinal for some reason? Like, first of all, the starting price was, <laughs> In, not insignificant. And secondly, the mechanism by which one would do that, like it just, it feels limiting. It feels exclusive. Well, what, so what, what was the starting price that you saw? Uh, I think it was, was it like three or four or five ETH or something? It was like, I don't know, 13 or 14. So, so that's, so that's, that's on secondary. What I initially sold the first shards for was $444. Hmm. You could buy it with the credit card. It was priced in dollars. So actually, uh, this was a, the first NFT that a lot of people owned. Um, the site ended up not having the capacity because this was the largest, the most traffic they've ever generated by like a factor of 10. Hmm. But for the people who did buy shards, someone ADXed within, the, uh, within two hours. Um, because they went immediately to a, a four ether floor price, which was like whatever sixteen thousand dollars or something that they paid four hundred dollars for. So on on, on the same marketplace, that, on the exact same marketplace, or they took it somewhere else? No, they, they took it to OpenSea. Um, right, right, right. So if you think about that, that's that's a lot of value that I left on the tables, very specifically because I wanted to make a piece of artwork that my friends could afford. Like that, that wasn't the that wasn't the reason why I made this piece, but it's one of the reasons why I was attracted to the idea that I had already thought of. Um, and I initially thought like that I would have trouble drumming up demand because it's such a fucking weird concept. Part of my French, maybe yeah. you have to believe that out. Yeah. Um, sorry, no, but um, I, it turns no out it turns out that it was the exact opposite problem. Where now my friends are pissed at me because they didn't get a shard and they would have, you know, made a lot of money on it. So, you know, could, okay, so, can't so win either way. About this, though, I, I also and I don't yeah. know how comfortable you feel about this because I feel like you're, uh, you know, a rather strong pseudonymous, like you know person perhaps almost well mm -hmm. pseudonymous pseudonymous like i can't even say the word anymore but like you know whether it's your your typography or the 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 way that you present on twitter mm -hmm. it, it's not it's not it's not curmudgeonly it's it, it's sort of uh you know how do i put this i i feel like i'm sort of going back to my days in art school where it's sort of like i see what you're doing and wow it's kind of like fucked up and weird but great and i love it uh Thanks. Are you able to share a little bit more just like about your background, where you're coming from? You're asking if I like went to art school or whatever? No, no. I don't really care if you went to art uh, school, but I want to understand how right. you got to be this way and why do you behave this way uh, okay. and how did you get into this? Because I think it's important. I will, I will give you yeah. – yeah. I mean, so I, I, this isn't like super de-anonymizing because it's kind of obvious, but my, my name is Shlomo. Um, <laughs> okay. I grew up like super, super religious community um, and, you know – I won't like wax too poetic about it, but I, I just grew up in a really, really like structured like uh, environment with a lot of rules and restrictions. And um, I think that people who leave an environment like that, like yeah. sort of self-select for being 
well, usually having mental health issues, um, and I'm very involved with like that community, but but also, but also, um, you know, just like you have to be like a, a you know, a, at the really, really extreme end of the human spectrum of like being independent thinking and creative, um, in order to like do something like that. Cause I don't think people understand like when you grow up in a almost cult like environment, like how strong that the, the, the grasp is on you, I guess. I'm not really, I'm not really uh, phrasing it too well. Cause I'm also sort of freaked out about the auction at the same time, <laughs> sure. but, uh, that plus, yeah, just, just that sort of environment, you know, I, okay. I literally so, just so that, that, that's where you started from, right? Yeah. In, in, I literally like, just today, any sufficiently long conversation about my art turns into a therapy session. So let's well, not do that. <laughs> well, okay. So we don't have to like, yeah. Although I'm, I'm usually game for like therapy sessions, especially in the context right. of like, you know, the tech world and like all the stuff that's going on and all the dysfunction. Right. But I do think that it's, it's interesting to sort of one, try to understand, like, did you find this community as a result of leaving, you know, this, this hyper-conservative context from which you came and then in finding that belonging kind of develop these relationships and connections that allowed you to, right. sort of, you know, put this type of art out there and have people respond in this way and you know, eventually I want to understand more of like the economics and the finance of this. Like, right. Sure. I like, I don't even care for that yet. Like, you know, money is whatever. Wait, like when I would say, yeah, the, the internet, the internet was like a huge factor in like, you know, realizing that there's like more of a world out there than like my insular community. Yeah. Um, so I just grew up like super, like, you know, like all over, like I, I, I didn't do any like sort of social media where it was like me and my friends. Like I, I wanted to connect with like strangers on the internet with like the same interests as me. So I was like, without, without, um, without naming an age, can I just, can you give us a a ballpark? Uh, Yeah. I'm like a zillennial. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So you're younger than (laughs) younger than 30. Yes or no. Uh, Possibly. Yeah, probably. (laughs) All right. All right. Around there. (laughs) Around 30. Okay. (laughs) So actually, actually, this is one thing that I wanted to uh, bring up. Uh, which is the connection to the financial crisis. Um, I I feel like this is, maybe it's been part of some of the coverage, maybe not. But what I'm trying to pick apart and understand is the norms and, and kind of expectations and behaviors that dictated and informed a lot of the behaviors that my generation engaged in and led us to do things to create social platforms the way that we did. And then to look at what this this current generation and this current wave is doing by imbuing finance and financialization and the concepts of finance and behavior and psychology into like these independent autonomous like like even the keywords and like concepts are entirely different than what i feel like was popular you know a decade or 15 years ago and that break is so, so important to understanding this because you have a bunch of people who are reporting on this stuff who are like my age and Brian's age coming at this with the perspective that they had back then. You know, we, not to try to, you know, go on forever, but like, you know, the, the, the Gulf War was like a big deal in like our lives. Like that loomed large and that I think informed- Are you talking about the 1990 Gulf War? <laughs> because that's the one I'm thinking of, yes. Exactly, right? And that was the first time, at least for me, where we had a live feed of missiles- going off in the desert halfway around the world. And we're watching this thing and we're watching the shock and awe of the, you know, U S empire attacking, you know, this foreign nation that, you know, ostensibly at least, you know, had, 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 you know, the lies that have been built up to, to, to lead us to, to that war in Iraq. Now within the last week, we 
ended this 20-year war in Afghanistan, while in the meantime, this younger generation grew up and grew through Occupy Wall Street and the financial crisis. And so while we were off, you know, gallivanting and world building in terms of, you know, civilizations and, and, and country building, this younger generation came up on the social media that we had created and that was exploited by previous administrations to create something vastly different and new that is somewhat resistant to the type of, I don't want to call it like mind control, but story control that many of us suffer from or are trying to escape from. So that's what I'm, I guess, trying to, to pick apart. And, you know, anyways, I'll, I'll leave it there. Brian, you had some questions. Um, yes. Uh, so, okay. I got two and I'm going to, I'm going to kick these back to you. Um, uh, hold on. I'm bringing up the essay here. Uh, uh, Kai Sheffield, um, who's the head of crypto at Visa, Okay. Had an essay. Remember when uh, A16Z launched Future a couple of months ago and then <laughs> never published anything again? Yes. Okay. There's an essay that he wrote, and this is in June. So think of in, in terms of crypto yeah, and, and NFT. Okay. Like Let me just quote real quick. Um, Today, most successful characters exist as intellectual property owned by a single corporation. This means that fans don't have any governance, let alone direct ownership of these characters, limiting them to being only passive consumers of the products and narratives that the corporation decides to create. Even if fans buy public equity in the companies to show support or alignment, it's difficult to make a targeted bet on the success of a single individual character or franchise, blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on. It's a Excellent essay. Um, if you can look it up, Chris, and, and pin that. Yep. Um, so, uh, Mr. Urinal Salesman, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, because I, I do have a second question specifically about the urinal and that choice. What do you think about this idea of, we've been asking you about your generation and things like that, but like mm -hmm. this idea of that, that modern fandom, modern consumers of culture have feel an ownership of the culture and yet actually yeah. have no ownership of the culture. Do you think that that is related to what you are doing and, and what is happening right now? Yes. Uh, if you, if you look, I, I rambled about an hour ago on Twitter about how, you know, like if you look at the famous conceptual artists of the traditional art world, sorry, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yep. You're good. So yes, think about yes. like Damien Hurst, right? Like yep. how does he interface with his fans? They read fucking, sorry. I, Nope, did it again. It. Sorry, Chris. They read interviews. They see them in the newspaper, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm DMing my fans. Like, my fans are my friends. People yeah. who are my fans like enough of my tweets, respond enough, eventually, like, give it a month. We're friends. Like, I, uh, you know what I mean? Like, and they've never met me in real life. Like, this is a fundamentally different relationship. It's not the same at all. Like, it's not like we're just reinventing it on chain. And it really has not that much to do with the tech of crypto it's it's more like a social and cultural it, well it, it does but it's more about like how how it allows artists like me to monetize art that's for people like me and doesn't need to be for like gallery owners in order for it to be commercially viable what well, so you just I said art for a week for twitter weirdos and actually make money from it and not just like get a couple clicks and you know no attention mm -hmm. what you just said is maybe the most interesting thing to me right now even if I'm going to, because I'm going to play devil's advocate in a second. Um, even if I'm skeptical about even the blockchain side of this is that it doesn't matter. That's almost secondary because crypto and the blockchain and all is just basically unlocked 
shift sort of an energy here, an artistic energy that who gives a fuck about the blockchain, right? <laughs> because whether you can argue that it's enabling it or not enabling it, there is an energy here that I don't think is just because crypto exists. I mean, it wouldn't be here it's if enabler, crypto hadn't. Right? It's it's the enabler. It's yeah. it's it's created an energy um, that is now here. And right, it wouldn't be here without crypto. But what I'm saying is that that energy that you're talking I, about, that connection to your fans. Okay, go ahead. Well, I think you're right. I, I think in certain circumstances, I, I think actually, um, I think you're right to a certain extent. But I do think that. Um, the fact that you're that some of us are making art as NFTs actually like allows us creative possibilities. If that makes sense, like pretty much none of my art would make sense as a non NFT. Like it wouldn't exist. So it's it's a different genre. Right. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So so, yes. so actually so so let me pause you there because I want to bring Jackson into this because I think this actually dovetails yes, perfectly well. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, which is, and, and I'm going to let Jackson, I think, explain this, but I'm going to try to explain it from how I understand it. Um, and this is specifically related to this thing called the, is it the Loot Party or Project? Loot Project, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as I understand it, there are a set of essentially text-based, I tried to explain this to my partner, Joe, earlier today, I didn't <laughs> get it. Um, but essentially, there are these attributes, and I'll, Jackson, send me a, a tweet or something, and I'll pin it. Uh, oh, yeah. That, I, what is it? Like, there's nine or 10 of them or something. It's like a text file. And it lists these attributes or things that are in a, in a kind of bag, like a random grab bag that you get. And, you know, the the price of these things actually, you know, has gone up considerably, but that's, that's sort of besides the point. The point is that, the things that are in the bag are a set of primitives that you can use and remix to create all sorts of expressions or games or other things. Like it's not deterministic in the sense that, you know, I'm going to pause right there. Cause I, I, yeah. I, I already understand that I'm 
going down the wrong path. <laughs> so Jackson, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. I, it's 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 a very kind of ridiculous project in some ways when you think about it from a traditional mindset. Um, it is literally, in some ways, just a bunch of text files. In some ways, that are via the blockchain have been made digitally scarce, so that only uh, you know only people who acquired them they own them, uh, and there's enough people that have an agreement that what the blockchain says is true. Uh, that the, you know there's this consensus that it is it is valuable and it is ownable, and so that is what is the case and uh there the interesting thing about this project is you know most most people who when they go to make a, like like let's say most people when they go to make a video game they they spend months developing it and you know after maybe years they end up launching it to a community and hopefully people buy it and are interested in it um whereas this uh you know Dom the creator of this project it was really just an experiment for him uh, he he put it out there on a whim, sort of, and a bunch of people, you know, collected all these pieces. He didn't even sell them. He just put them. He put all eight thousand of these pieces out there, essentially for free. Um, and whoever claimed them first got them. And they, you know, people are a community has sort of rallied around them. And because it's on the blockchain, you can you can develop things on top of it. So it's kind of like an interoperable standard. And so now people are, you know, it's all these, it's all these fantasy sounding items, you know, like swords and dragon shields and all this stuff and very reminiscent of, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or RuneScape or things like that. And, uh, there's no game, there's no, there's no team, there's no customer support. There's no, there's no nothing. It's just, you know, eight, 8,000 or so different people that rallied around this really interesting concept. And now we're in multiple discord servers, uh, scheming and plotting about how to how to build a game on top of this how to how to make additional art projects that are you know derived from it um and there's like kind of a like a micro economy forming forming around it i mean i find i find this just like so i guess fascinating it feels like a lot of other people who are in the crypto space see it and they understand it and they recognize it as a moment like I feel like somebody said something about this being sort of like the punk rock moment. And this is something that I think Brian and I had talked about recently. Um, you know, we're looking for those, those moments where there's a deviation, where there's a blip, where there's something that, you know, causes you to be like, wait, did you see that cat? Yeah. You know, it, like, it's just, you know. Uh, and this, it, it, and I, I don't want to like oversell it because it's still fairly inaccessible, but what I think is happening in a way is that the internet is becoming somewhat aware of what can be used if you start with even simpler ideas embedded yes. in the blockchain and, in, and embedded as NFTs, that the remixability is the thing, that the, particip the particip participatory <laughs> aspect of yeah. these units of meaning allow for a great range of different people to actually join and participate and to interpret and to add on as opposed to where we were not too long ago, where the pieces of artwork that were coming out seemed to be somewhat, you know, fait accompli. Like, this is my yeah. finished art, and I just want it to be, you know, locked into amber forever, and I don't want anyone to fuck with it. This is saying the exact opposite of that. And actually, you know, like, Shaloms, I'm, I'm curious how you see that and, and where your piece kind of, the, the fountain piece comes into this, because 
it also feels like it's kind of done, like it's done art versus the loot project will continue to unravel and unfold perhaps indefinitely. I mean, just like there's still people who are playing, you know, second, well, life, you know, like they could be playing this loot party or loot project thing for who knows how long. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll chime in and yeah. say that, uh, you know, yeah, I, 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 I think that Schlums's work is is most likely going to uh, create lots of mini sprout off projects. Like I, I managed to buy two of them the other night on the first night, and nice. I'm already I'm already planning on fractionalizing one of these fractional shards further. <laughs> a fraction of a fraction using fractional art. Uh-huh. So yeah. Um, Jonathan Howard, I'll throw up a tweet. Someone else is, is doing this like interesting economics project where every person has to sell his own NFT to someone who owns like N plus one shards um, huh. to sort of try to like conceptually put the piece back together. Uh-huh. And then I have another friend who's working on manually recreating each shard in CAD because we didn't take 3D scans to put the urinal back together <laughs> in 3D. So my work tends to inspire like I wouldn't call them cop like in like derivative works, but like in not in the non pejorative sense. Like I'll help these people I, out. Okay, I'll, I wanna, I'll, like, I'll, you just touch touch on something, and then I want Brian to jump in. Sure. You know, is that back in and I don't know if you guys remember this, but this was certainly influential for me in I want to say two thousand four, two thousand six was what Larry Lessig was promoting as copy left. You know, was the Creative Commons was CC zero, which was putting things into the public domain was essentially advertising on your creative works. And, and Flickr was one of the early supporters of this. Like this is to me, like the internet as a medium reflecting its true nature of wanting to, you know, cr- treat information as free, but humans just knowing what we've known before tend to put things in cages or to lock it up as an industrial, you know, production machines, as opposed to what you're doing. Like the, the fact that you use derivative work, as opposed to a generative work is interesting. I mean, it may or may not be too significant, but going back to that era, it felt like there was a lot more willingness to be open and to share. I mean, that was the the impulse that led to the hashtag being what it was and why I resisted any kind of calls for it being patented or trademarked or anything like that, or what we did with co-working in Barcamp. I mean, those ideas were meant to be generative, were meant to be culture producing and to create essentially a way of seeding the early internet community around the world. And so it feels like that's happening again with some of these primitives. Anyways, Brian, you had some questions. Yeah, well, well, yeah to, I'm going to, I'm going to reset a little bit wait, Shlo- because Shlo- we've, we've got a little bit in the weeds about these specific projects, which oh, is okay. great. And okay. we're going to come back to that. I want to reset so dumbly. So, uh, you know, uh, noob old man waves cane stuff. <laughs> so l- let me let me do this rapid fire. I've got f- three or four here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> number one, GM is good morning. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's essentially. It's essentially just um, people, at least right now, the NFT community is is all shiny, happy people that love each other, right? <laughs> I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't say that. I, I'm deep in the weeds enough to know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of drama that goes on on a week to week basis. Um, but yeah, I think in the wider Web3 ecosystem, there's a, a cultural, uh, a cultural norm forming that we all like to say good morning to each other every morning. Okay, number two. And I would I'm just, trying I to would just add. 
Yeah. Sorry. Go I was going to add Jackson and I, I think are, are in sort of like a specific, very specific subset of the NFT world that I think is like very collaborative and happy go lucky. And there are other parts that are a little yes. different. I agree. Okay. You know, our part so, is <laughs> number, number two, um, if I don't know about these things, it's because I'm not in the right discord channels. Is that, is that where a lot of this community is happening right now? Uh, I would say no. I, 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 I've up until more recently, I've Twitter chats. Yeah. 90% of my information comes from Twitter or Twitter DMS. Okay. And, and telegram a little. Okay. So, so essentially all over, I mean, shit, it could be fucking subreddits or something. Um, <laughs> But if I want to, no, no Reddit, no Reddit. Okay, <laughs> yeah, See, uh, okay, Reddit. okay. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, if, if I want, old, maybe. <laughs> this is this is this is this is what I'm saying. I, I'm asking the dumb questions. I'm playing the dumb person because <laughs> I'm also dumb. Okay. Um, if I want to buy your stuff, I need to have ETH. Yes, no, otherwise. Usually, yes. I tried to do with dollars and it turned out to be a fucking disaster so usually yes <laughs> that's a uh, kind of um, symptomatic isn't occasionally it? no yeah exactly <laughs> um the idea that as someone like me that covers the broader internet space where you know six months ago i was covering the first wave of the nft craze um and then it went away and i think i tweeted last week or something i was like i'm pretty sure there will be uh, a, a bubble burst in the NFT landscape where people would be like, oh, that was such a fad. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> the only problem is, is I'm not sure if, if that's still ahead of us or if that happened in <laughs> April and May, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that probably already happened. So do you, do, do the two of you have any sense for why we have this resurgence now? Was there some catalyst that you can point to? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say catalyst. I think having been, having been around like doing this stuff on a daily basis throughout the ups and the downs, I would say that, uh, there's just been people on, you know, on the surface who have been building stuff day in and day out and are making small incremental progress, regardless of what the, like the financial markets are doing. And I think it's just over time that you sort of build a headwind with that and enough people start um, you know, taking notice and starting to use the products. I mean, I work at a wallet application company called Rainbow, and we've been working every single day during all that, you know, the ups and the downs when no one was paying attention. And, uh, you know, I think we're, you, you slowly see the benefit of just, you know, building stuff. Chris, get all your questions answered, huh? I mean, I, 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 if I still want to play the devil's advocate, I could play like, I, you know, so I, I guess, yeah, go ahead. The, the devil's advocate thing. It's easy. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy to sort of like call bullshit on this and it's easy to like, you know, be upset about like the value or the, the cost or what's happening with financial speculation and all those things. But you know, again, I guess for me, you know, I posted, uh, I, I, I pinned, um, you know, Packy has a great piece on um, how corporations are getting into NFTs. And I think he's really doing a good job of sort of thinking through why this is happening, where it's going to go, and what companies that are really getting, I guess, I don't want to say ahead of it, but are kind of playing along to learn along with everyone else, is to think through some of the knee-jerk 
negativity that's easy to manifest and instead kind of ask the question of like, well, what types of behaviors and activities are positive here? What are the good, I have a, interesting- I, I have a way to frame it. Yeah. I have a way to frame it. Sure. Okay, so Duchamp and the, and the, the fountain are, are the perfect way to do this because, you know, what the Dadas were doing was essentially being like, oh, art is so valuable. We're going to dare you, motherfucker, right. to value a fucking urinal, right? And so the question would be, the two, and this is to the two of you, for, for being artists in this space, for being you know, people that are pushing projects in this space, what would you feel about it becoming, it's already big money and things like that, but that has to do with the energy of it and the creativity of it. What would you feel about it being corporatized? What would you feel about it not just being something that we crazy kids are doing over here in, in, the, in a corner, it being something that, you know, all of a sudden Disney releases a fucking Lion King, you know, series of NFTs. Would, would that be a betrayal? Would you embrace it? What, do you, what would you feel about this becoming bigger than than just um, energy. I mean, I would, I'd welcome, I would think, I'd I mean, it. Disney specifically, uh, yeah, I don't know. Disney specifically, I would, I don't know, man. I, 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 I think maybe, I, maybe it would, it would be okay, but my ideal vision of, of that, of a sort of corporatized future of, of the space is a lot more of like the Dow version of, of, of corporations where like the, you know, normal people like us could still benefit from it. Um, but I don't really have like any, any uh, I mean, sound bites for you I, about that? I I think that it's it's relatively inevitable, and I think that in the same way that corporations are now using the internet when they weren't, you know, whatever, how many thirty years ago, whatever. I think that the same is true for this. I think that you know, I think in ten years you're going to see a lot more a lot more companies using NFTs, and I think that uh, I think it's just you know, it's a natural. I don't think that I, I don't think that me personally, I'm not going to. I'm not going to like or enjoy the NFTs that these corporations put out, but I think that I think that it is going to happen, and it's going to be a key component of all this stuff continuing to grow. Yeah. So one one question that uh, that Mike um, sent me was around um, how you know Top Shot and what the NBA is doing. You know, is already an example of this. You know, in in corporate yeah. land, I would say you know I, I pinned a tweet to some of the what Marvel's doing with their NFTs. Like for those that have universes, and for those that want to build metaverses like the NFTs also become sort of a loyalty unlock that if you own them for a long enough period of time, or if you own a fraction of a major NFT or an important NFT, or if you are part of some universe, you know, in, in uh, like the Marvel narrative or something, you know, and you had the NFT at this date, then maybe it gets you access to some, you know, real life experience or something like there are a lot of ways in which this unlocks all sorts of new design primitives new types of experiences. I think one of the questions that I guess is it's, it's going to be impossible, I think to answer, but as, as someone who, and again, I'm not trying to like, I don't know, like center on me, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my experience and being like, if we extrapolate out, you know, 14 years into the future, where does this go? And does it go where we want to go? Like in the early days there, you know, corporations using hashtags was like a laughable idea. It was never going to happen. Um, and then gradually, of course, over time, as we moved into a more visual medium and as more and more people like individual users adopted that nomenclature, brands had to 
communicate more like their customers. And so the brands became a reflection of the way in which people you know, communicate and talk. In a similar way, I mean, what you guys are engaged in is training brands and companies to behave in new and novel ways that lead to different types of engagement. And the thing about DAOs that I think is important or interesting or smart contracts is that you are in in a way like quite literally like writing the code for how these companies, you know, will behave. And one of the things that I'm almost like deathly afraid of is, and I, I alluded to this when I talked about the super follows is the way in which increasingly it may become a lot more expensive to just exist on the internet. Because if you start later on and you don't have access to NFTs, if you don't get any of these um, bored apes or you know, gorillas <laughs> or bananas or whatever the next thing is, you actually will have missed the opportunity to kind of get those things that enfranchise you in this new internet economy. And when that becomes corporatized, you know, corporations are a series of rules that sort of self-reinforce and if they yeah. are exclusive, then you've just created the preconditions for what the whole movie like Fight Club is about when they blow up the whole credit <laughs> card system. So I guess like if this system were used against you, how would that feel? And do you feel like that would actually be something that you could dismantle? Or is it actually something that's going to become really, really difficult to escape, you know, once it becomes normalized to the degree that I think Brian is, is asking? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very hopeful. Like to your point, I I obviously I would feel bad about that. Like I don't want that to happen. Um, and I believe that there are, <laughs> I believe that there are, like to, to your question about Disney, you know, in the future. And I think that to that kind of thing, I think that corporations will be doing this. But I think there are lots of things that are growing and being built right now that you know, ten, twelve years from now, they are going to have surpassed Disney or things. It's going to be like a scenario of blockbuster just getting like a run over by netflix like yeah i you know that sounds a little crazy but like i think to your point about uh exclusionary and locking things down like there's a lot of nfts projects right now and like art projects and gaming projects that are are choosing the opposite route of just making everything open like i shared uh, i shared a tweet at the top of the space of an NFT project that hmm. that was was built by the same creator that made the loot project, and they're they're taking the totally different approach of let's not lock down this IP at all, let's not make this exclusionary. Instead, let's release all of it into the public domain immediately, hmm. and let's see what happens. So I think that is what like to me, I'm really excited about that, and I'm hopeful that that kind of radical sort of. Uh, just giving away of intellectual property and embracing the like the the free spirit of the internet i think yeah. that that is going to create that's going to be the ticket to making sure that the the corporations and and whatnot do not turn this into a, a like a you know a, a hellish landscape <laughs> I, well and i love that i think that, that that's the thing that's important you know and, and i think for me the one thing uh it's funny i, I was uh on a podcast the other day and you know, I was asked if I get bored telling the story of the hashtag and, and I don't because the story allows me to present an alternative form of, or, or approach to seeking success in the tech world where it's not just about an exit or about liquidity or about making money, but about creating cultural like production or being inclusive. You know, when like the, the design of the hashtag is such that, and you know, it's funny, there is no smart contract attached to it, but essentially relative to, let's say the domain system, which in some ways it was in opposition to, there was no central registry 
that you could go to. Now, granted, I just discovered today that there's something called the hashtag protocol, which is about uh, apparently centralizing hashtags and having, you know, uh, artificial scarcity applied to hashtags, which is somewhat offensive. But regardless, in the beginning, anybody could use a hashtag, you know, and, and brands tried at different moments to trademark hashtags and to prevent the use by normal people. Um, but that went against the grain of the way this the, the thing was intended and designed. And so as long as I think there are folks who are willing to experiment in that and not everything is, you know, going to the moon, but, you know, maybe some things are going to Saturn or Jupiter or Pluto or whatever, um, or, or maybe even, you know, towards the sun, um, then that I think is like positive and productive. And then that maybe resists that, I don't know, trend towards homogenization that seems to occur over time. Anyways, I've been blathering a lot. Um, if, if, are you guys open to maybe taking one or two questions, bringing some folks up? Um, of course. Yeah. Okay. If anybody has questions, yes, you know, raise your hand. Um, happy to bring you guys up. Um, obviously, we've been going for about an hour now, so I really appreciate your attention uh, so far. Um, obviously, this is a great opportunity for Brian and I to sort of indulge you know, ourselves in this conversation, but um, happy to bring some other voices up uh, as well. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at cutsclothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. Cutsclothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features features help you say the right thing at the right time every time plus you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to constant contacts best in class 97 percent deliverability rate i use this and you should too tackle any challenge with constant contacts expert live customer support plus everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Constantcontact.com. Um, okay, we got Peter up here. Peter, why don't you, uh, if you could introduce yourself um, very briefly, and if you got a question or comment, um, preferably you can state which and then offer it. <laughs> 
I know Peter's been waiting for a while. Okay, well. Peter, if you're there, you are on mute, but. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not now. I'm not now. Great. Hello. Right. Hi. Um, yeah, um, uh, Chris, I interviewed you in Copenhagen. I'm a journalist. Okay. Um, also, uh, oddly, uh, yeah, good. Um, also, I was actually in the first Gulf War um, as a war correspondent. That's right. uh, there's a lot of points that hit me about what you're talking about. One, you're talking about the uh, internet and about how it was this great three thing. But what one of the things that we're talking about with the internet, sorry, with with um, NFTs, is that we're using crypto to actually turn it into a sales device. That's one point. Next point is um, this idea about entropy, which a lot of people have mentioned, I think is a very good one because basically what you're doing with an artwork is you're saying that something happened in a moment in time and you're giving somebody the opportunity to buy into that moment in this entropic system. Um, the other thing that I think is that... Um, what we've been moving towards now is something called what I think is existentialism. It's not it basically means that in social media we're looking at what we do and what we do in periods of time and what we're trying to do is lock some of that down and so that's what we're doing with this art. Um, and I, I mean, I'm particularly interested in this because I'm also a poet. And one of the things that I've been thinking about doing is trying to actually uh, work out how you can use, or well, you can NFT poetry. And one of the re what ways that you can do that is NFT poetry performances. I mean, it strikes me that the way that you have to do this is that you actually have to make something happen in the moment in time that you are recording and you're giving somebody an option to buy into that and um, i've finished now thank you i so i think to, to jump on that and, and, and dame if you want to jump or um, dame jackson jackson if you want to jump in on that too <laughs> i go by both it's fine okay uh what, what, what sort of like you know occurs to me in um i guess what peter's saying yeah i thought about this before and i think this this relates to shalom's approach as well is that in some ways, and, and, and what Brian was saying about um, the the urinal um, and and the sale of that was that it was about also generating a conversation. It was about uh, creating something that could be participatory and would lead to people having to investigate and understand why they felt things were valuable or why people exalted certain things. Um, and so it was the opportunity to actually provoke and be provocative, and the results that came from that that caused the thing to have value in and of itself. And I guess like, I'm curious, like, in other words, like you're creating a game by pointing at the thing and saying, why is this valuable? And then people saying, well, it is valuable. And then that is actually the thing that becomes participatory, but maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Jackson, do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on with that. And I, I agree with so, you know, quite a few of the things that Peter was saying. I think the, um, you know, uh, the, the thing that's always made me the most excited about this the internet and web3 and the nft space is how it it's not a it's it's less about at least in my opinion it's less about consumption and more about interacting and engaging and yeah. uh you know the, i think 
I, I, to go back to you know that loot project that we were talking about earlier, it, like the reason why that's so fascinating is there's not really much of anything to consume there. It's it's more like people just toss some toss some like you know items out there and ingredients, and then you know let the chips fall to see what people do with them. So I I think that that's you know I I I like that a component of it, and I think that that's what makes a lot of this so special. Totally. Um, all right. I, I brought Daniel up. Daniel, do you, do you have a, do you have a question, a little bit of introduction? Hi, oh. Daniel. Hi, I'm Daniel. Uh, I am. Hey, Daniel. So I'm working in cybersecurity. I just had a pretty simple question for the four of you, I guess. What is your favorite urinal shard? Ooh, <laughs> my, it's that circular one that just sold. And I missed out on. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Have you been like, participating in the auction while we're oh, yeah. I've, I've been I've been bidding nonstop and that's I'm amazing. losing. That's that's really is good. is the Jackson is the, Jackson turned into a whale as of yesterday, so now he's a yeah. high roll. Yeah. <laughs> was you the a, a, a robe for or, or you at least you raised the price of some robe to like three hundred ETH, right? Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I sold I sold one of those loot things yesterday for like a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Okay, wait. I think. Uh, we we do need to reset. Number number one, uh, is the urinal cake part of the urinal? <laughs> uh, well, everyone's laughing, but yes, uh, urinal cakes exist. Um, so yes. far, they've only been given to uh, the people who participate in the ritual. They're all black. Um, they have a holographic sticker on them. They're probably oh easy, easily the coolest looking urinal cakes to ever exist. And they've never been. Um, and I, I might. They're hand painted. They have not been used. They're, they're hand-painted by myself. Um, and I might just start like selling them in like small batches as non-NFTs just so people can actually have like a physical thing. Just to fuck with the whole um, thing. It's like, I'm going to sell it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, did, I didn't want to do it because I didn't want it to be like super monetizing. But now that so many people tried to get shards and didn't, I feel like it's just, it's, you know, just a way for people to participate more. So, yeah. Okay. As of this, as of this moment for both of you, uh, and you don't have to share this if you don't want to, but um, each of your projects, what's the dollar figure or ETH figure or whatever that currently right. the total project? Are you talking about like, like all NFTs combined? No, of, of like the urinal oh. project or the loot drop or like uh, what, what are we, what are we? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So for my urinal project, the first two things were flat prices, so uh, 70, 70 um, small shards at four hundred dollars. Um, okay, and, and you know what? I'm not asking. I'm not specifically okay. asking what you personally have made. Like, what is the project okay. itself? Sure. The value of the project right now? Honestly, I still have to do that math because the, the price is being discovered as we speak. <laughs> like all my bids. I was going to say it's, it's evolving. My auction was supposed to end an hour ago. As of right now, I'm about to make like three times the salary that I made in the job that recently quit one night. So I don't know. Take that as you would. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good answer. Wait, wait, what, what, what are you going to do with it? I mean, like, it seems like there's on the one hand, this is like a circular economy, you know, like you kind of mint these things, you make a bunch of crypto, I suppose. I don't know when it becomes fiat or not, you know, if you, your landlord sort of accepts shards, you know, for, you know, rent or something, but do you do you have a vision for where this goes next? Like, do you build a whole, you know, Osama Noguchi kind of, uh, I don't know, he, he was a, a, a <clears throat> designer type person. Um, like, 
workshop where you just, you know, make urinals all the time or, 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 or what? Well, there's sort of like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like first is financial stability and then maybe is the Noguchi thing. So we'll see where this ends up. Like I, I still have, I still have my major auction tomorrow. So like, that's, wow. I don't know. I'll, I'll give you an answer in like in 26 hours, okay. whether I'm going to be building. Well, don't those little people, you know, on the way to the <laughs> Uh, Chris, I still don't in hashtag, you know, <laughs> like we're not big leagues yet. Well, uh, to, to the point of the valuation things though, and I'll just clarify, I'm not, I didn't create loot project and I'm not actually, there's no official people right. that work on it either, but, uh, okay. you know, in the span of six, it's been six days since it was created and launched. And in that six day pe- time period, there has already been $54 million worth of trades happened on the secondary market. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and in days and weeks and things like that. Um, uh, I, I'm going I'm to give uh, uh, one more thing and then uh, you can bring someone up and we can wrap. But um, I have an idea for the next one. Isn't it Duchamp that then uh, put the mustache on the uh, Mona Lisa? So yeah. maybe the next one would be to put a mustache <laughs> on a board ape or something oh, like that. Like well, take. But, but that's like part of it, isn't it? Like, I mean, like. The whole attribute but I mean, is a piece of the whole NFT. It's not yeah, my but like, but Brian, I fully support you doing it. And I will show you how to make it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Yes. There we For go. For ten percent. Yep. Let's go. <laughs> Love it. Uh, okay, I brought up uh, new neo new or the sun emoji. Um, <laughs> however, you would like to be introduced. Please let me know. Hi, sun emoji. <laughs> Uh, first, first things first, can we make sure we answer Daniel's question? He kind of asked his question and the room got reset. So I'd, I'd kind of like to make sure he gets his question off first. Ah, no, please that. do. Um, do you want to just reiterate how you heard his question? Or if Daniel wants to. No, nah, I'll let Daniel in. go ahead and say it himself. Oh, I was just asking between the four of you, what were your favorite pieces of the toilet? Uh, Dan, oh, right. <laughs> that's right. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, personally, I liked, um, I liked the, the sledgehammer itself. Uh, it was like shiny and chromey, and it's just like I don't know. It's like badass. It was great. Thank well, you. I, I I own shard number one thirty four, so that's my favorite. <laughs> the one you <laughs> own, of course. And well, now that I know, it, have you even looked at these yet? No, but now that I know the yeah, Uno cakes are there, you know that's well, um, obviously okay. No, yeah. Okay. All right, I think, I think we've answered that. Son, does that? Oh, does that... I didn't answer it. Oh. Um, number two has my name on it, so I was going to say uh, that was that was my other one that I was going to choose. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Wow. Okay, son. I think I think we've we've answered that one. Okay, and then uh, just my question for the general audience, or basically for Shlom's is, um, or for Shlomo, uh, can you can you tell us what's going on with the bidding war right now, Jackson? As well, I'd actually like to hear about uh, the bidding. I lost. War. That's what happened. Oh, you lost eight. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah. my my girlfriend is on bidding war duty, uh, so I don't even know. But uh, well. I'm focusing on talking. There's still some going. I'm looking at them right now, but I'm outpriced. How many are left? Sorry. Uh, I think, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's quite a few. There's, there's a lot still going. Yeah. What, what, so we're is about, there, like, is there a short about, or something like, where people, you know, listening uh, to this could go see the collection? Yeah, I'll, I'll put it up. We sort of had a last minute change to OpenSea. It was supposed to be elsewhere, but I'll, I'll put it up. Um, I could put up the, the page where... Um, where all the bids are yeah, yeah. Um, coming in live. 
basically these were supposed to end at nine EST. So like an, almost an hour and a half ago, but every time a bid comes in, it gets extended by 10 minutes. Right. Right. Um, and almost half of them are still bidding. Wow. Wow. You know, I, I will say like, I, I had this experience actually back in March, uh, when I participated in my first NFT drop, um, which is from Blau and he dropped his, his album. And I actually have a time-lapse video on YouTube of the entire bidding thing. And I, like an idiot, didn't know about this 15 minute sort of window that kept expanding. And so I thought I was going to be there until, you know, 8 PM or something. And I was like there for like <laughs> seven hours, like fucking recording the screen. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was intense. So I, I just made the same mistake and committed to make the next and final drop immediately after this one at nine. And now I'm, I'm just waiting for this. Day. So no, no more sleep. Exactly. Wow. Well, it's it sounds like we should let you all get back to that, seeing as how that's way more important than talking to, to us Brian, two I'm assholes. Right, talking to the creator of the hashtag right now. That's true. That's true. Chris is Chris yeah. is an important person. When you work at when you work in the NFTs, you learn to Wait, like. I didn't hear what you created. Uh, Chris created the hashtag. <laughs> hashtag hashtag creator. <laughs> It was a long time ago. It was 14 years ago. So, you know, <laughs> it's had time to mature and to grow into its own little fledgling thing. Um, but anyways, so, so, you know, if, if, if it wasn't clear, that's where a lot of my perspective is coming from. It's just like, and, and, and I don't, I don't over, I don't want to overstate or overclaim anything as a result of that connection. It's just kind of like being able to observe something, you know, that you've minted to use the modern language. Um, and to see it grow and then become a thing that everyone uses and has no idea where it came from. Um, I don't know. Like it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see sort of similar mm, market dynamics, network dynamics existing, uh, right now. Um, and so I think that's why I'm so drawn to this. Cause I'm like, I remember that time. I remember when we were trying to figure out Twitter when we didn't know what Twitter was like way, like, you know, Super follows is this whole new thing that's built upon a mature network that kind of knows how people interact and know how they produce and create content. Back then, it was hard to explain what Twitter was, but we could see what it was going to become. We knew how important it was going to be, and it needed these different structures and these handholds to bring more people on, to make it more useful, to make it more relevant. And so that's that's kind of like the the genesis for where that idea came from. And I, I, I want to point out and remind folks that the hashtag came out of an effort to decentralize the social web. That was like the goal. That's what we were working on. So the fact that it's happening now and you actually have something like identity and something that is persistent um, changes the entire nature of what's possible. And so a lot of the dreams, at least, you know, that I feel like a lot of folks had, you know, 15 years ago when we were starting out on the social web are now starting to be realized. And that's just how long the stuff takes. So with the NFT stuff, it may take another 15 years to get to the place where the stuff is as commonplace as, you know, tweeting is today. But anyways, it's, 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 it's super excited to be, to, to, to be here, to be part of this conversation, to like, you know, bring you guys up who are like in the trenches, you're in it, you're breathing it. I love it. I don't know. It's, it's super exciting for me uh, to, I agree. to be involved and to have you guys invite, you know, us into this world as it is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Thanks for putting up with our uh, stupidity and uh, <laughs> not at all. No obtuseness. Uh, Chris, have you NFT'd the hashtag yet? Yes, that, that's money on the he table. He did. Right he there. did. I, I, okay. I did, cool. and um, it only 
It only brought in 10,000 bucks, which I'm not complaining about. I put a third of it towards <laughs> That's okay. I didn't ask myself and Jackson uh, to. Uh, well, now <laughs> I know. Now I know, man. I, you know, I probably have some other good tweets from back then. You know, like, my, my, my consulting right. fee is moon cats. So. <laughs> well, listen, hey, if, if you guys are agents or something, I did mint the uh, first uh, podcast true. episode NFT. That's true. Uh, what we was that? Five blocks. months ago? Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. So, we, actually, it would be great for you guys like to consult on us and tell us what we did wrong because clearly we didn't go to the. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. I think we spent more in gas than the whole thing that we made. Uh, anyways, uh, do you guys have anything that you want to leave us with? Any any parting thoughts? Um, you know, what should we be looking forward to uh, from from both of you guys? What are you guys seeing on the horizon yeah. for for your? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just yeah, I'll just say that uh, you know there are, i know y'all were joking about dumb questions but like there really are no dumb questions in the space like there's there's so many confusing things about it and uh you know one of my jobs at rainbow and one of the things that we're trying to do there is make the space feel a lot more welcoming and accessible to people and give them the the tools and the, the knowledge to be able to to start doing this stuff with a lot of confidence and uh so yeah just check out rainbow check out what we're doing i think if you know if you're interested in this this you know it's a great way to get started What's a good address for uh, for Rainbow for the convention uh, browser? Yeah, rainbow.me. Great. Cool. Shalom's? Um, I mean, I'll, I, you know, whenever I think of my next art thing, or rather whenever it just like appears to me in the trance, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> I had the idea of doing the, the DAO that blows up a Lamborghini, but we'll see if right. the idea sticks. Other, other than that, I'll, you know, I'll keep you posted. And where depends, uh, depends if I'm a millionaire in two days or not. You know? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to ask you about taxes. Um, where, if, if someone <laughs> else wants to create the uh, the Lambo DAO, um, how should they get mm-hmm. in touch with you or, or reach you? Well, I'd say, first of all, that's my idea. Please don't do it. Um, Twitter DMs. <laughs> Ferraris are fine. Totally. Twitter DMs or x at com both work. But I mean, uh, you know, I'm not old, so I just use Twitter DMs instead of email. <laughs> wow. Oh, that makes me not old. Okay, great. See, see, we're we're still we're still young. Welcome, still. Welcome to the club. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, this is this is awesome. Uh, thank you so much for doing this with us and joining this conversation. Um, I am thank Christina, you. and yeah, uh, this thank is you for another episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. Thanks for being here, guys. This episode will come out on Saturday, so uh, if you want to catch any of it, share it. Please do so then. If anybody is in the New York City area right now, I'm looking at Twitter. Fucking be safe, man. Uh, this it wasn't supposed to be a hurricane situation, but it is looking bad out there. Thank God I'm on a slope. All right, be, be safe, everybody. Be well, everybody.